three, two. Welcome to yet another edition of the Mr. Sitter Podcast. I am Anthony Lacascio. Thank you for being with me. What an evening's worth of action we had last night. Possibly, if I dare say, the best quartet of matches we've had in the group stage so far. Um, Yeah, just four really, really good matches, uh, including two uh, matches that Martin Tyler described on commentary as World Cup Classics. The mileage on that may vary depending on who you are, but we'll get to that in a little bit because uh, some 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 other shit happened uh, 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 j- like j- very very recently that we got to chat about because it's proper football stories. I would be so so remiss and so just not true to myself to not start with the fact that as of about two hours ago, the Juventus board of directors have resigned, all of them. Even the ones that hate each other, like uh, uh, Andrea Agnelli, the pre- well, the former president now, uh, and Pavel Nedved, uh, Ballon d'Or winner, and the the incumbent vice president, they didn't get along. They were not buddies, even though they've been working together for the better part of the last thirteen years. Um, the fact that both of them and and the rest of their the rest of their compadres have uh, have jumped ship. Uh, who, who, what's going on, guys? What's going on? CEO Maurizio Rivabene, who some of you will know from the Ferrari uh, dri- Drive to Survive um, Formula One documentary, which I haven't seen because I don't want to become obsessed with Formula One like the rest of you fucking basic bitches. But uh, he's going to stay in. He's the CEO. He's not technically in the board of directors. He's going to see them through this period, whatever the fuck that means. Uh, I'm terrified. Uh morbidly intrigued and uh yeah the mystery of what's going to happen next is huge uh this could be uh, a gigantic scandal that's about to break um or yeah yeah who knows what's about to happen i'm 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 flush with excitement about this situation forza juve forever uh the other thing that happened uh, overnight which whew, the internet is uh, is feeling all the things about this uh boxer Former former world something champion. I know because I listened to the Joe Rogan experience between 2018 and 2020. So I've heard of Canelo Alvarez. He is Mexican. Uh, he is responded to a video where the Argentinian players are celebrating in the dressing room after defeating Mexico. And there's a Mexico jersey on the floor. And Lionel Messi looks like he's sort of kicking it. Now, you look at the video. Uh, his foot just kind of moves towards it. And he's just like... like just grazing it with his toes and it's moving over a bit and you see other shit on the floor and nonetheless Canelo Alvarez has responded to this you've disrespected our jersey you've disrespected our flag and he said uh Messi he better pray to God I don't find him uh Fabregas has come out on Twitter and, and defended Messi and said you don't know the person you don't know the you don't know the context you don't know what it's like you know there's there's no disrespect intended shit's always on the floor in the changing rooms and they're just celebrating a victory um, that may be the case, uh, but even if even if Messi was just like like kicking the jersey or whatever, uh, you better fucking pray to God you don't go anywhere near the greatest player of all time because no one gives a fuck about boxing, bro. 
This World Cup is being watched by 5 billion fans, at least 4 billion of which absolutely love Messi and what he's done for this sport and this world over the last 20 years. You best not go anywhere near him, bro, because we may not be able to fight you individually, but you don't want 4 billion people coming at you to take you down, Canelo Alvarez. I bet you, you could probably get through about 20 before you get you get fucked, man. You you, you leave Messi alone. You don't get anywhere near him, bro. Go after Ronaldo. You, you, pick, you pick the wrong muchacho to go after, bro. Watch yourself, Canelo. Um, okay, but we had some great fixtures last night. Uh, it's great fixtures, very very exciting matches on paper, and then in execution, in practicality, they were even better. Uh, let's start with the top. Let's start with Cameroon, Serbia, which did not end 4-0 to Serbia as I had predicted. Instead, it ended 3-3. It was a World Cup classic. Um, the, the, there's, there's, spoiler alert, there's two very good performances by African teams overnight. Uh, six goals scored in total by both Ghana and Cameroon. So naturally, I've decided to wear my Nigeria jersey for this episode. Um, Osisikelele is what I have to say. Fuck yeah. Even though I was not going for Cameroon here, I was rooting for Serbia. Uh, and three, no, two of my boys were in the starting lineup. Sergei Milinkovic-Savic, Filip Kostic back from injury. Both of them had pretty average games. Uh, and by the end of it, I mean, I was watching it with Zoe, and Zoe was well and truly in the corner of Cameroon. I was going for Serbia purely so that I could be right, because everybody knows I care about pride more than anything else. Uh, but three all, totally deserved result. Uh, and you, it's just so easy to get behind all of these African teams, whether it's Morocco, whether it's Cameroon, whether it's Ghana. The fans are the best. The African fans, the costumes, the passion, the creativity, the music, uh, the singing, they never give up. They never abandon their team. They were amazing. Uh, Love to see that. Love to see... uh, I didn't actually mention this in the Brazil game, um, even though it's it's kind of implicit, but what a special feeling it must be for both Sergei and Vanya Milinkovic-Savic to be playing and starting World Cup games for your country with your brother. Like, that's... As far as I know, that's unheard of. Maybe maybe um, the De Boer brothers for um, for the Netherlands in the 90s. Maybe that's uh, that's one. Uh, La- the Laudrup brothers for Denmark. I don't know if they would have played together at a World Cup. But yeah, but re- recently? I don't know. I don't know about that. Uh, Hazard. Eden, Eden Hazard and Torgan Hazard. Okay, there's heaps. But either way, it's still a special thing. Uh, so good on those guys. Uh, speaking of goalkeepers in this match... Andre Onana, conspicuous by his absence. I actually didn't hear about this until during the game, so I googled it. Turns out that Onana, who plays for Inter Milan, so I fucking hate him, he was dropped by Rigobert Song uh, in the lead-up to this match for Cameroon because Song asked him to change his goalkeeping style, and he refused. Song wanted him to adopt a, quote, traditional, more traditional goalkeeping style. I don't know what the fuck that means. Uh, And Onana was just like, no way, I'm not doing it. Uh, and so Anana got dropped from the squad entirely. Anana's been a bit of a troublemaker in his career. Remember, he got banned from Ajax for a little while for some gambling shit, and then for a little while he wasn't available in FIFA. Uh, that's neither here nor there. Uh, this decision to drop Onana would uh, it would show in this game, but we'll get to that in a, bit, a little bit. Uh, Alexander Mitrovic had a mixed bag of a game. He scored, but he wasn't very good overall. He missed one chance in the first half after creating a beautiful chance for himself and hitting the post. Could have made it 1-0 for Serbia. He uh, he missed, wow, uh, like a guilt edge chance that was created because 
a Cameroon guy kicked it out in the like it was in the box. The Cameroon defender kicked it out. It falconed um, his mate. It fell into the path of another mate who tried to scuff at it, and then it landed right at the feet of Mitrovic, who just shot wide from about a meter away. It was just a cacophony of comedy. It was a calamity. It was a comedy of errors, a sequence of just this this standard of football shouldn't be at the top of the game, but it was, and ultimately Cameroon were not punished for this because Mitrovic somehow inexplicably missed. Uh, Cameroon then went up through a well-worked set piece um, and against the run of play, but then Serbia really turned it on, and at the end of the second half, Serbia really showed the team, they showed themselves to be the team that I know them to be, the team that I see as a team that still can make it all the way to the semifinals, but they really got to get their shit together in certain departments. But they turned it on and scored two goals just at the end of the second half to go into halftime leading. Pavlovic, who had an excellent game overall, scoring a mad header. And then Sergei Milinkovic-Savic, who still hasn't shown exactly why he is so coveted everywhere across Europe. He scored from a pretty tame outside-of-the-box shot that you are almost certain Andre Anana would have saved. Uh, the second half... Uh, they start. They played Milinkovic Savic uh, Sergei. That is a little bit deeper. They had him in his normal position in midfield, and who would have thought? Uh, S- Serbia actually took better control of the game instead of having him as a weird kind of inverted winger that he's been playing in these last two games. Uh, who would have thought that that would that would turn it around? And then Mitrovic finally scored. Um, great, great little team goal. If you watch Mitrovic's goal in this game, you see that. Serbia, if you combine the way that they defended so, so resolutely and so powerfully and so bullyingly, I don't know if any of those words that I just said are actual real words, but just so, so robustly against Brazil and in parts against Cameroon, if you combine that with the slickness of the move and the quickness of the of the attack that Mitrovic scores basically unmarked in the middle of the box you can see this being a top, top tier team. They just can't seem to put it together with any kind of consistency and they play with naivety uh, because once Mitrovic scored and it's 3-1, you think it's done. It so wasn't fucking done. Soon after, Pavlovic, who plays for Monaco and is apparently being scouted by a lot of teams in this World Cup, gets injured and that totally changed the game. In addition to Vincent Abubakar, who some of you will remember played for Porto a little while ago. Now he's playing in Qatar, funnily enough. Uh, he came on, totally took control of the game, got a goal and an assist, uh, he looked like he was totally offside for both, but replays showed that by a knee hair, by a fucking man pube on on the kneecap of one of the Serbia players, he was onside. To the point where, with his assist, like Chupa Moting, who's, who's having a quietly very, very good tournament, uh, Chupa Moting scored, but Chupa Moting was like, he didn't celebrate because he's like, you were offside, what are we doing? But he wasn't. Uh, so, three all, um, and... Towards the end of the match, you're seeing it, and you're like, the draw doesn't really favor either team. Both of the teams could really go for it here. And yet, Stojkovic, the, uh, the the coach of Serbia, doesn't doesn't put Vlaovic on, who's still nursing an injury, takes Sergei Milinkovic-Savic off. Luka Jovic, who, who's having a little bit of a crisis of confidence at the moment, but he's scoring goals for Fiorentina finally, he stays on the bench. And you think to yourself, obviously, Stojkovic is saving these guys for the Serbia game. So Serbia walk away with one point. Serbia got one point, Cameroon have got one point, and Switzerland have got three points. It's Switzerland-Serbia in the final game. 
Stojkovic is basically gambling all of this on Serbia. Like, it's all or nothing. Serbia have got to defeat Switzerland. Uh, it's going to be a cracker game. Defeating Switzerland, I predicted, would be quite easy for Serbia because they'd come in with a cushion of having absolutely smashed Cameroon in this game. They do not, and I am not so certain that they will defeat Switzerland because, as we found out a little bit later on, Switzerland are really, really fucking hard to beat, as they always have been, but we'll get there after we talk about Korea-Ghana. Another match that I thought was going to be excellent, and it did not disappoint. 2-3 uh, to Ghana. Um, I was actually so impressed by South Korea going into this. Um, for the first 10 minutes, they absolutely dominated Ghana. First 10 minutes, couldn't get the ball on them. I realized that I've totally slept on South Korea. I thought they were Hyun Min Son, Kim Min Jai, and the rest. And on paper, they totally are. But in execution, they were they are everything Japan wishes they were. They were the slick kind of uh, very quick Asian passing moves. Plus, they had robust, strong players. They absolutely dominated Ghana in the first 10 minutes. Ghana barely got a sniff. And any time that Korea lost the ball, they would foul the fuck out of the Ghanaians. They would bully them. They would make sure that Ghana didn't build any kind of a rhythm. Uh, so they looked really, really good. And I thought, this is going to be a fucking massacre. So South Korea going to absolutely smash them. And then Ghana scored. Out of, out of absolutely nowhere, set play, Ghana scored, um, and you kind of thought, what, what, like, what's going to happen here? Uh, and then Ghana scored again, and you're thinking, oh, uh, cool, and the Ghanaians are fucking losing it in the crowd, and, you know, they, they, weren't, they weren't good, but they were clinical. They just took their chances, and when you have experienced players like the IU brothers who have played in World Cups before, played in plenty of international tournaments, you've got Inaki Williams who hasn't played for Ghana very much, uh, but he's a very experienced player too, and you've got uh, you know got Thomas Partey, another very experienced player. The you know between Amate and Salasu, you've got uh, you know Premier League tenured defenders, and then of course you've got Mohamed Kudus, who absolutely everything went through. Uh, I did say in my preview to this World Cup, he is raw. He is so talented, but he is raw. And that is not that has not changed. He is still so raw. A tactically kind of confused player. But fuck, is he good, man. And in a World Cup, you know, we've seen it before. James Rodriguez, 2014. It is, it is the staple. It is the... Uh, example of why it doesn't matter if you're a raw player but you're you're supremely talented in a world cup against not the top top opposition you can stand out and that's exactly what Kudus is doing he scored two goals um he scored one goal early he scored another goal that was the winner uh Korea in the second half came back they scored two goals uh both of them were very kind of un like let's just call them un Japan goals they were I'm not comparing Korea and Japan as a, as a racial thing. They have very similar styles in their build-up. The difference is, is that Korea had the physical edge uh, and they were able to do it and get it to 2 all. But then, yeah, Kudus made the difference again. Um, Juventus have been linked with him. I hope that uh, the board of directors implosion uh, doesn't make us completely out of the race to get him because he's a wonderful player and he said that he was a better player than Neymar about a week ago. So I want players with that kind of confidence in the fucking team. Ghanaians have always done well at Juve. Get him in the team, guys. Get him in the team. Kudus, my man. Big grudge matches coming, boys and girls. Big grudge matches coming because the final game of the of the group, uh, we'll see Portugal take on Korea. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, then it'll be the, yeah, the grudge match the, the history between Ghana and Uruguay. Uh, Luis Suarez being the piece of shit that he has historically been. Uh, 
basically it's winner take all between Ghana and Uruguay. I don't see Korea being able to beat Portugal and I want Ghana to win so badly. I want Ghana to gain retribution for what happened in 2010 and um, and I think they can do it uh, because Uruguay don't look very good. Uh, really looking forward to that game. That's the clear that's the clear standout from, from this group uh, in the final round of fixtures but we're going to talk about that in a little bit because we've got to go to Brazil. Switzerland, 1-0. Brazil, uh, they were... They, you know, no Neymar, but they were still good. They were still good. I said to you guys that this game was going to prove the degree to which Brazil are a cut above everybody else, and and they are. Like I know that they labored. This was a harder match to watch than the other two. They labored to defeat Switzerland, but everybody is going to labor to defeat Switzerland. Switzerland are so annoying. Switzerland are the most annoying nation in the history of the World Cup. They're just so hard to break down. They're so hard to beat because they make it so they're a difficult team to play against, and yet Brazil handled them quite comfortably you know um Vinny Jr. scored a goal that it was it was ruled out because I think Richarlison was offside in the build-up but Vinny his run and his finish is just like you've got Neymar but you've got like a player that's almost just as good as Neymar and then you've got your Richarlison's your your Rafinha's your etc etc like when Neymar comes back after the group stage they're going to be so much more powerful for it but even without him they could probably still win this world cup uh it's yeah. It's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna be Brazil's to lose, and this game proved it to me more than anyone else. And if you if you need any more evidence as to the the just the energy that's behind this this team at the moment, uh, the legends that were in the crowd. You had Kaká, you had Ronaldo, Fenomeno, my favorite player of all time. You had Cafu, you had Roberto Carlos, all wearing their suits, watching the game, super happy because everybody knows that this is this is a moment in time for Brazil. Um, I, I would actually be sad if they don't win it. This is theirs. Everybody everybody else is going to is going to take a chunk out of this World Cup. You're going to have stories that people are going to remember. You're going to have players that are going to break out, but this is Brazil's to win and um and they will. So so godspeed to them. And then the final match of the uh of the round was Portugal Uruguay. Now, I say Uruguay because uh, you know, for my entire life, we've been calling it Uruguay, and I understand that that's not how they pronounce it. But you know, we, when we when we're English speakers, we don't always pronounce the countries the way um, the way that they pronounce it in that in that uh, that country itself. You know, my family's from Greece. Greece is called Elava. No one's calling it Elava. We're calling it Greece. The Greeks don't even know the Greeks don't even know where that word came from, and yet. My, my my entire life watching football, all the pundits, all the commentators, they've always called it Uruguay. But for whatever reason, everyone has endeavoured to call it Uruguay this time. You know, everyone, everyone's all of a sudden become a savant of pronunciation, except for me, uh, with that word itself. Um, you know, the commentators, uh, the Craig Foster, Uruguay. Okay, so we're calling it Uruguay now. Either way, Uruguay lost 2-0 to Portugal. Uh, the first thing that I noticed about the starting lineup was that um, you had Pepe and William Carvalho coming in. They didn't play against um, William Carvalho. Came on. Pepe didn't play uh, in the previous match against uh, Ghana, and you'd think um, that, given that Ghana scored uh, two goals and possibly a third, I think um, I think uh, Fernando Santos has decided to go with a much more experienced uh, kind of core at the back, and it worked because Pepe mind-bogglingly had a wonderful, wonderful game here against Uruguay. Um, but their attack was real good, man. Um, even though the black hole of Ronaldo was lingering, the movement, especially in the first like 15, 20 minutes, the movement and the speed of passing, 
among Portugal's attackers was exceptional. Uh, it, it looked like Spain. It looked really, really scary. Um, and Uruguay didn't look like they had anything going on until Bentancourt picked up the ball uh, just outside of the 16-yard, the 18-yard box uh, and dribbled about three players and then went one-on-one with um, the goalkeeper and Diogo Diogo Costa made a great save and I'm just like so depressed by watching Rodrigo Bentancur be good. It's what I hate about watching Spurs because I watch Bentancur be amazing. I watch Kulusevski be amazing. I watch Christian Romero be amazing. These are all players that were completely shunted by Juve. I mean, Romero didn't play a minute of football for Juve before being sold to Atalanta for like, I don't know, it was like 15 million euros we sold into Atalanta and then Spurs have bought him from Atalanta for like 50 million euros like a, a season after and meanwhile we're like shelling out 40 million dollars on Bremer I don't want to get started on that but to see players that w- didn't really perform at your club leave and be great at other clubs you just think what's going on there let's hope it's the board of directors fault because because uh, uh, you know who knows? Um, so Antonio Conte has turned Bentancur into a monster. Uh, so let's hope that Antonio Conte makes his long-awaited return to Juve at the end of this season. Now that the board of directors aren't there, maybe it really will finally be Allegri out. But I realize we're not doing a Juventus podcast, so let's get back to the game. Nuno Mendes, uh, the left back for PSG. Young, young man. He's 19 or 20 years old. He, on that left that left wing, he was just beastly. Um, made a really, really quick run um, up Nuno Mendes, who is just a prolific, prodigious, young 19-year-old, 20-year-old uh, PSG left-back, formerly of Sporting Lisbon. Many of you will have heard of him. He's been excellent. He made this run down the left wing at one point. That was so fast. I, For a moment, my brain told me it was Rafael Leao. And then moments later, the poor kid had to come off. And he was basically in tears. And it didn't look like he was limping. It was very difficult to determine what... Um, what the the like the injury was but it looks like he might be out for the tournament he was replaced by Rafael Guerrero that's kind of sad uh Bruno Fernandez just like the histrionics that this guy participates in uh like anytime there's something he's just whinging I, the the face that I have of Bruno Fernandez in my head is just him going Aah. um and frankly like I don't remember other than when he first came into Man United when they were just dog shit and him just being a decent player was like would blow the world away. I don't remember him doing anything great, uh, but that's what I was thinking at halftime. But I was proven to be wrong. Uh, this is the seventeenth game of this World Cup so far that has ended nil all at halftime, which is which tells you everything you need to know about this World Cup. What tells you even more that you need to know about this World Cup is that a streaker ran on to the to the pitch. You barely saw him because the cameras are instructed to absolutely not pay these people any attention. Um, He was wearing a Superman jersey that had Save Ukraine underneath it. He was uh, waving a um, uh, LGBT, like a rainbow flag as he was running. And um, and I think he he had one more, he had one more, oh, on the back, on the back of his shirt, he had uh, rights for Irani women, I think, Iranian women. Uh, Never have I seen more of an example of plain, 
please make me famous virtue signaling this cunt has latched onto three of like the hot topics of like i'm gonna i'm gonna be a fucking hero in this world um clearly doesn't give a fuck about any of them because there are so many better ways to make this statement than to just run out this guy's looking to be famous and i want them to institute i think globally they need to institute um a law that allows the bouncers to legally beat the living fuck out of any streakers. Like, they cop a massive fine. Uh, a lot of these people can afford to pay the fines. This clear, virtue-signaling, fame-whore, motherfucker, disgusting cunt, I, I want him to get the living shit beaten out of him, but they won't because like it'll be seen as a hate crime so fuck that guy you don't care about any of those issues those issues are extremely extremely sensitive extremely important and putting them on a superman fucking t-shirt while running through the middle of a football game not the way to handle it mate fuck you um fuck you a lot uh of course ronaldo has been um you know the, the goal has been awarded to ronaldo uh he like by the skin of one of his of one of his fucking head follicles he scored um it would be a lot more easy to to award the hair to, to award the goal to him if he still had the noodle hair that he was rocking at real madrid for a little while but whatever give it to him and then um the second goal was scored when jimenez was uh nutmegged by bruno fernandez and he went down, and as he went down, his hand went behind him to um to catch himself, and the hand hit the ball, which nutmegged him, and changed the trajectory of the ball within the box, which is as clear a penalty, as clear a handball as I can possibly fucking think of. And all the Uruguayans are like, "What the fuck is going on? Why? How, like, how can you give this? How can you give this penalty?" It's like, yeah. It's that's it's a handball. That's the clearest example of a handball. You've put your hand in the way of the ball, changed the trajectory, stopped a goal. It's it's a it's a penalty straight up every single time. Um, and they, they they like they were saying that oh well how was he supposed to save him? Like how was he supposed to catch his fall as he went down to slide to block the shot? Just don't slide. Block the shot a different way, bro. It, like how was I supposed to stop the goal without my hand? You, you don't. That's that's football. That's how goals go in. Uh, Fernandes then converted the penalty, 2-0 to Portugal, they are through, nobody wants to play against this team, they're absolutely too stacked, uh, and they will definitely be playing against one of Switzerland or Serbia, Portugal-Switzerland is going to be the worst fucking game we've ever seen, it may well go to penalties or it may be like a fluky Ronaldo goal that sees Portugal through, so you guys should pray to God, as I am, that Serbia meet their potential and don't fucking, they beat Switzerland, okay? Let's all pray. Let's all get together and pray. Uh, tonight, we have the final round of the group stage matches. They've got them simultaneously to make sure that no teams, uh, um, thingo, that no teams know that they only need a draw to go in. So all the teams that are in the same group, they're playing at the same time. There's two 2 a.m. games, two 6 a.m. games if you're watching here in Australia. Uh, and we've got Clearly, in both groups tonight, there is the game, there is the much watch, there is the must watch game, and then there is the well, I'll have it on the background game. The first round is Ecuador, Senegal, Netherlands, Qatar. Qatar already eliminated. Netherlands will mop the, mop the floor with them. Ecuador, Senegal is do or die. Both two very, very exciting teams. I'm pumping for Ecuador as I have been the whole time. Let's go, Ecuador. That'll be a great game to watch. And then afterwards, it is Iran, USA, England, Wales. Similar situation, although England are not technically through. Wales are not technically out. They basically are. It's a foregone conclusion. Go, Iran. We want Iran to win. Um... I'm watching the Iran-USA uh, game. This has been Mr. Sitter. Have a great day, guys. Catch you tomorrow.